Ladies, welcome. If you're joining on a satellite group or an online group, welcome. We are in our last week of Hosea. It has gone by so fast, but we're so thankful that you've made it all the way through through these eight weeks. And so I have two really exciting announcements for us today. Uh, The first one is we do a Christmas gathering every year for women's ministry. And this year, it's going to be a Christmas sing-along featuring Tommy Walker. And we are just going to jam out and sing Christmas carols together. Um, We are going to have free churros for you afterwards. You can wear your favorite Christmas apparel. No no limit on that, whatever it is. We just want to come together and we want to sing Christmas songs and celebrate the season. So I want you to mark your calendar December 8th. It's going to be in the South Sanctuary, 7 o'clock. Uh, we do have an RSVP that's live right now. That'll just make sure. It'll ensure your churro if you want one. And we also have uh, child care available, so you need to register your kids if you're going to do that. And we're doing something we've never done before. We're going to actually partner with the Union Rescue Mission and Hope Gardens. Yay, Lupe's excited about that. Good, me too. Um, We are going to collect pajamas for the kids, the moms, and the dads so that they have, they have jamas on Christmas morning. And they don't need to be Christmas pajamas. Any pajama is fine. But we're going to do a drive, a donation collection for that. And then that's all going to go to Hope Gardens and URM so that on Christmas morning, families can wake up and have new pajamas for the year. So if you want to donate, um, there'll be more information for that online. So mark your calendars. This is also a great opportunity to bring a friend. Some of you who have friends that maybe stay far away from the church or unchurched, don't usually like to come to church. This is a very simple introductory event where we're just going to be singing Christmas carols for a half an hour and hanging out afterwards. So I want to encourage you to invite friends. Um, the next announcement is we are excited to announce that the next Bible study series we are going to do is First, Second, and Third John. That's where we're headed next. And so we will resume January 18th and 19th. Some of you have told me, or you've said, I'm so sad. Why are we taking such a long break? In women's ministry, we've experienced that women do a lot of the planning for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so this next few seasons, are they get a little crazy for women in particular. And so we found that less women tend to come because they have other needs to take care of. So we're giving you a break. We want you to still stay in God's word. But then we're going to rally for 2022. January 18th and 19th, we'll be back in God's word together. So... Woohoo! Excited to have you guys here for that. So um, we are going to close out this series tonight, which is kind of crazy for me to think about just what a heart adventure it's been for me. And just to expose myself to God the last eight weeks and say, God, have your way in me. And my prayer is that he's really had his way in you and that you've allowed him to touch parts of your heart that maybe have been covered or untouched before. So I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to dive into the word. So you'll bow your heads with me. Uh, God, we thank you so much that you are the author of love. God, that you wrote love into each of our DNA, that you created love and you sent Jesus Christ to love us, God, and invite us into an eternal love with you. Uh, So Lord, your word is powerful. Uh, It does not return void when it goes out. And so today, God, we just submit ourselves to your word, your authority. And I pray uh, just by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would move in us any part of us that does not believe your love or has not received your love. Father, we invite you to do your work in us today. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Amen. So today we're going to talk about the fact that God's love never fails. Um, And I wonder for you if you've had any failures in your life. Um, I was walking over with my mom and I was like, mom, hey, do you have some examples of times I failed? And she was like so gracious and she's like, oh, I don't, there's... Oh, not 
many. But then we started telling stories and it was like, oh, that time and that time and that time. And if we're honest with ourselves, we fail often. I fail often. Uh, one of my favorites that came to light yesterday was um, when, so when I was in second grade, that's when the internet came out or the AOL thing where you would instant message. So I was in second grade, never taken a typing class. My family got a big computer. It was in our laundry room and I found a way onto the WWW and I started to learn how to use something called the internet. But I had no formal training in this process. And so what I did is I took my best skills, this finger and these fingers, and I taught myself how to type. So I typed like this from second grade to sixth grade until I took a real class about typing. Well, unfortunately, my muscle memory had already been developed by then. So I failed my typing exam. And to this day, I still type like this, which is embarrassing. Not everyone knows that, but when my friends used to sit in the coffee shop with me in college, they would just take videos and be like, I cannot believe you're functioning like this. And if you've ever seen me text on my phone, I can only text with one finger. And it's like a wicked thing. So there are things in life that we fail in, that we try, that we attempt. Um, once I tried to give up Q-tips for Lent, felt like a holy thing to do. Um, <laughs> A few weeks in, I got an itch in my ear and I had to abort on my promise to Jesus that I would give up Q-tips for Lent. So um, there's lots of, some of you are like, I would never give up Q-tips. Some of you are like, what is she doing? She's crazy. Um, but there are things that you and I attempt to do and sometimes we fail. It's part of the human story. We all have stories we could share of times we've attempted something and it hasn't gone right. And I share with you kind of lighter things, but if we were honest, if we were to sit down for coffee, um, you and I would both have stories of times that we've really failed, where we've let down relationships, where we've broken trust, where we've been disobedient, where there's been real pain in the offering for the ways that we failed and the way that others have failed us. And so failure is something that we're all familiar with. We all understand it. But what makes God's story so crazy is that God never fails. He doesn't ever do anything wrong. And his love never fails us. So while we mess up, while we make mistakes, while we experience seasons of hardship, God's love never stops pursuing us, never stops trying to meet us in those places where we failed. And just because we fail, that doesn't cancel us from his love. He is relentless in pursuing us. And so that's what we're gonna talk about today. So um, you can follow along on the side screens, but we're gonna read the text starting in Hosea 11. And this comes right after Hosea is prophesying against the destruction and the consequences of Israel's sin. Remember, Israel has been wayward. They've loved other things. They've chased military power. They've worshiped Baal. And so it's been a series of judgment. And then we see God step onto the scene. And this is God's tender heart towards us that we're gonna, we're gonna study today. So Hosea 11, eight through 11 says this. This is God speaking. He says, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboyim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. And when he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt, trembling like sparrows, from Assyria, fluttering like doves, and I will settle them in their home, declares the Lord. 
So if you're taking notes today, the first thing we see about God's unfailing love is that God never stops pursuing us. God never stops pursuing us. Here, Ephraim, Israel, is in their lowest pit. They have completely rejected the Lord. They've gone to their own devices, and we see God's tender heart towards them saying, how can I give you up? How can I abandon you? If any of you have kids, you probably know what this feeling is like where those, the little crazy ones, they drive you insane and you've told them again and again and again to do something they don't and you're like at your wit's end and then they come up and they just say, they give you a little hug or they blow you a kiss and you're like, oh, it just kind of breaks your heart. You're like, even though you did all those bad things, like I love you so much. That's what God says. He knows that we've sinned. He knows we've gone astray. He knows we've hurt others and we've dishonored his name. And he looks at us then with that compassion and that tender love and he says, how can I give you up? I'm not gonna abandon you to the grave. I can't actually destroy you. I love you way too much. Now, if you were reading this, you might've been thinking, who is Adma and Zeboyim? These aren't ex-boyfriends. These are two little, little cities Remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? It's when God brought his destruction, his judgment against the unfaithfulness of that city. He said, you are living apart from me, you're living in sin, and I'm going to wipe you off the face of the earth. And these are two little towns that were outside Sodom and Gomorrah that many people wouldn't have known the names of. He says, see, even I remember the names of the smallest places and I don't want you to think that I will ever forget your name or do that to you. So people who were there who would have known the territory, known the cities, no one would ever mention that. We only say Sodom and Gomorrah, but they would have known that these little cities, God has not forgotten them. God doesn't forget us. He sees us where we are and he comes to the rescue. He says, my heart is changed within me and all my compassion is aroused. Sometimes I think, and we've talked about this, I think sometimes it's hard for us to be compassionate on ourselves. When you and I fail, something we can tend to do is put ourselves on the chopping block, right? It's almost like we like to self-punish or we like to control that aspect of our lives so that nobody else can criticize or so that God can't be mad. And so often when we do something wrong or something goes wrong, we as women take it on as ourselves. I'm like, I'm gonna fix this. I'm gonna get this right. I'm gonna do this. God's heart says, I have compassion towards you. I don't expect you to fix yourself. I expect you to put yourself in a posture that I can help correct mold, but you actually can't fix yourself. You can't heal yourself. You can't save yourself. Only I can do that. The Lord's love is pursuing Israel at their lowest point. And if you and I are honest, sometimes we think it's when we're in our better seasons that God can really bless us. But what God's saying is that when you are in the darkest place, when you've just made the mistake or when you've fallen back into the addiction that you've been battling for 10 years, it's in that place that I want my love to pursue you. And so I wonder today where you've been that you haven't let God into yet. What is in your past? What failure, mistake, regret, shame have you maybe buried and tucked away inside that you have not let him into because you think it's your job to fix your failure before you can bring it to him? 
that is where God wants to meet you. That's where God wants to go with you. And that's where God wants to love you in the place that you feel most unloved. We know that Satan's a liar. He roams around seeking to destroy. And Satan's greatest victory would be if we believed that our mistakes and our failures actually disqualified us from God's love. What in your life do you think is too big of a failure for God to fix? I'm here to tell you that God's love is bigger than your failure, and that's exactly where he wants to meet you and pick you up. Um, I love the second part that talks about God as a lion, and I, I love the visual because it says that God's a lion, he roars, and then it gives all these descriptions of birds flying back towards him. Now, if you've ever been in the jungle and seen a lion, I haven't, but I, this is what I imagine. When the lion roars, the birds flee, right? They fly away. Everybody's scared of the lion. But this lion, this lion is our God. His power and his love are so majestic and awesome that even though they might feel scary, there's a holiness and a love in there that draws people in. We do not serve a passive God. We do not serve a God who doesn't have all the authority, all the power, and all the victory. We serve a God who can do anything. Um, If you've ever read C.S. Lewis's um, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, Aslan is the lion that portrays God. And so I don't need to set up the whole scene for you to get this little line that talks about Aslan the lion. Um, They're having a conversation about who he is and Mr. Beaver says, safe? Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about Aslan being safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. God is not safe. We cannot put him in a little box, but what we do know is God is good and he's the king and his love will trump any mistake that you and I have ever made. What do you think has moved you too far for God's love to reach? That's where God loves loves wants to reach today. Um, All right, we're gonna go to Hosea 14, one through three. Moving along in our text, it says, Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously, that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never say again, our gods, to what our own hands have made. For in you, the fatherless find compassion." second point today that we see is our words have power. If you'll remember, if you can go back with me to Genesis, the Lord spoke creation into existence and you and I are formed in his image and what we say matters. Proverbs 18, 21 says, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. You and I have power and what we say matters. It says here in verse two, it says, take words with you and return to the Lord. I love that. I love that Hosea is saying, I want you to take your words. He doesn't say, I want you to get your life in order. I want you to take sacrifices. You're going to owe me big for this. I want more than a, a tithe check this time. I want you to get your act cleaned up. I want you to bring me some kind of sacrifice. That's not what he's looking for. The only thing the Lord asks of us is our words. Have you ever been in a fight with somebody and there was maybe an exchange or a hurt caused, and you've tried to reconcile it without naming what happened. Has anyone ever been a part of that? Just me. 
Um, I think there's been lots of seasons in my life where so, there's been a miscommunication, someone's been hurt, and in my fear or maybe embarrassment, I can tend to try to repair relationships by being really kind or overly sweet or trying to make up for what I did wrong instead of just labeling, hey, I'm sorry, I did this wrong, I hurt you, I own that, will you forgive me? You see, there can't be reconciliation unless we're willing to own our part. And God says, I don't, I don't want you to come with this fake love or extra service at church or you know, extended nighttime prayer or quiet time to try to earn what you missed. I want you to simply own with your words what you've done wrong. I want you to acknowledge how you've put others in front of me. I want you to acknowledge of the other gods you've loved and chased. I want you to name the problem. Have you in your own heart named the things that are keeping you from God? Have you taken the ownership of it of saying, yes, I actually have turned to other things than you, God. This is what I've turned to. You see, we can often deceive ourselves in thinking that the more good we do, the more God will love us and the less he'll remember some of our mistakes. And the reality is God knows everything. God doesn't forget our mistakes. What he wants us to do is bring our mistakes to the altar to confess them, to apologize for them, and to ask his forgiveness. God wants to clear the air with us. What words do you need to bring him this week? Has there been anything that you've been harboring in your heart? Is there anything you're unwilling to name because you're ashamed, it feels painful, it feels maybe insignificant, maybe it feels like it's not a big deal and God doesn't really care? Is there anything that's separating you from God? Because our God, in his love and in his mercy, says all I need you to do is bring your words, is tell me that you're confessing this and I will forgive you then we can clear the air and you and I can be solid. Because remember, God wants our heart. He doesn't want anything to be in the way of blocking it. So what words do you need to bring to him today? Where do you need to apologize? Where do you need to own something that you're trapped in? Maybe it's a sin that feels really good and it's really hard for you to give it up and you've tried and you're just struggling and it's not working. Where do you need to confess that to him and say, I'm sorry I have been chasing this or I'm sorry we haven't really dealt with this addiction or this side thing that I think is secret from everyone else but I know is not secret with you. What words do you need to give God today? Romans 10, eight through 11 says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. There is power with confession. And so my favorite place to confess personally is the car. It feels very safe. It feels very like... It's on the freeway, I don't think. I mean, sometimes I wonder if Siri's listening, but I'm like, Siri, you gotta repent too, girl. But I just, I just get it out. I let it out and I tell the Lord the things I've done wrong. And there is something, I think we talked about this in another week, but there is something very freeing about confessing your sins. It's, it brings to me this instant lightness of I'm not living in darkness, I'm not trying to hide anything, I'm not being secretive, I'm confessing it, and I'm getting it off my chest, and so often I say, God, I'm so sorry, help me. I don't know how to do better. I'm gonna probably keep straying towards this, but like, I need your help. Where do you need God's help today? What would it look like for you to sit alone with him in a car, in your room, by yourself, and just speak out loud the things that you have done against him and ask for his forgiveness. You see, his love 
never says no. He never sits there and listens and says, okay, A through D I can get on board with, Z you're gonna have to come back and do better with. God receives our apology, he receives our heart, and he says, yes, even there, even in that mistake, even in that situation, I love you. That's where I want you to know you're loved. I'm glad we can talk about it, because then we can work through it, and then I can heal it. You see, if we don't give God something, he can't heal it. It's like a wound, if you've ever had like a cut or something, and you just want to pretend it's not there, and you put a Band-Aid on it, and there's a, like infection in it, it will just get worse and worse and worse, and you can put all the Band-Aids you want on it, and it's not going to heal internally. You've got to open it up and clean it out. There's some things that we need to clean out, things that we've been storing in the storehouse that are costing us more than we know because we're not willing to admit it and receive forgiveness. Where do you want God's forgiveness today? I'm going to leave you with that question. And then the last section we're going to dive into, this is how Hosea closes the book, and I just love it. There's a lot of beautiful imagery in here. Hosea 14, 4 through 9, this is what the Lord says. He says, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily, like a cedar of Lebanon. He will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree, his fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. People will dwell again in his shade, and they will flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the vine. Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim, what more do I have to do with idols? I will answer him and care for him. I am like a flourishing juniper. Your fruitless or your fruitfulness comes to me. What I love about this is they, look at how many imagery there is of flowers or growth or fruit or bloom. It's a bl- lily blossom, shoots will grow, olive tree, shade, grain, vine, juniper. There is this image of new life. And so the third point today is God's love brings new life. God's love takes what is planted underground, what's dark and buried, and it brings new life out of it. You and I serve a God who desires to heal and can heal anything. He's talking to Israel who has been so far away from him. There's no life, there's no hope, they've turned to all their own devices. And here God's saying, he's creating all these images of fresh fresh life, lilies, blossoms, new grain, new wine. God wants to do something new in your life. He wants to bring life in where there is no life. What area of your life do you want freshness in? Do you want healing? Do you want God to do a new thing? God is able to bring life where there feels like there is none. And I thought for today, I can, you have to hear a lot of my stories because I'm a teacher and that's all I can talk about is my own story. So you've heard a lot of my own stories. And so I invited a dear friend, um, Allison Hughes, who is Tom Hughes' wife. She couldn't be here this morning, so we recorded her last night. Um, but she, she came to me and she said, Coley, God has healed and transformed parts of my story that only he can heal. And I, if you want me to, I'd love to give testimony to that. And so we're going to watch on the screen as Allison shares some of her story. But what I want to encourage you in is to hear about Allison's story and then to think about your own where your story might not be anything like Allison's it might not be anything like the woman next to you but there is places in all of us that need healing where do you need God's healing let's watch Allison's story as she shares well tonight Coley's been talking to you about God's unfailing love and God is a healer 
and I'm just here to share a bit of my story about how I have experienced that unfailing love and his healing. One of the verses we read tonight said, I will heal their waywardness and I will love them freely. And so this part of my story is a time when God found me in my waywardness and he loved me freely. As a child, I started out labeling myself as one who was not loved. My dad left when I was one years old and in Romans 9, Paul quotes Hosea and he says, I will call those who are not my people, my people. And I will call the one who was not loved, my beloved. Because my dad left and I didn't understand why, and I wonder if some of you had a similar story, I decided I was not loved. There were people in my life who loved me, but it was a label I put on myself. And I just wonder if any of you have either put that label on yourself in some part of your life, or someone has put it on you. And I'm just here to stand and say, you are the beloved. When I was about nine years old, I attended Pioneer Girls, which was kind of like Girl Scouts for Christians. And there, there was a lady named Aunt Ruthie who taught us Psalm 139. We had to memorize it. And here was this God who was intimately interested in me, who knew my inmost being, who understood everything I was going to say before I said it, everything I was going to do before I did it. And that was so appealing to me. I had this dad who knew nothing of me, but yet this God who wanted me. And so I grabbed hold of that. I received Christ as a nine-year-old, and I really experienced the beginning of my healing at that time and the beginning of my identity as the beloved. However, like Coley talked about, there are these, she called them kidney stones, that they're blockages to receiving the full identity as God's loved one. And I still had those blockages because I had never addressed my questions about my dad. And so as a teenager, I started taking my little cup and going to other places to try to figure out some of the pain I experienced in my heart. And I went to the well of body image and I drank deeply from that well. And I fell deep into an eating disorder that began to consume me, and it was addiction that I couldn't break. Because of that, and because of my pain, I also fell into a depression. And the more I fell into my addiction, the more my depression deepened. And the more my depression deepened, the more the addiction became worse. And I was in a pit. I could not get myself out of this pit. Corey Ten Boom is a hero during World War II who hid Jewish people in her home and along with her sister Betsy. And they eventually were found out and ended up in a concentration camp. And while they were there, Corey was talking to Betsy about this pit that they're in. Like, could it get any darker? And Betsy replied, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. And that's what I'm here to testify to tonight. That wherever you may find yourself, or maybe it's someone you love, and they're in a pit where they have lost hope, and all they can see is the darkness. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. And so here I was, 18 years old, my whole life ahead of me, and yet I could see no hope. I believed lies about myself, 
that I couldn't break. All I could see was darkness. And it brought me back to Psalm 139. Does God see me here? Because in Psalm 139, it says, even the darkness is as light to you. If I descend into the darkness, even there you're gonna find me. And that was my question. Can you find me here? My pit ended up being a hospitalization where I was all by myself to treat my eating disorder and my depression. And I literally felt like it can get no worse than this. There is no hope for me. Can God see me here? I just want to say tonight, he sees you. He sees those you love. The whole hope of Hosea is we have a God who pursues us and will never stop pursuing us. Like Coley said, there's nothing you can do or nothing that's been done that will keep God from pursuing you. And so here I am in this pit and I cried out to God. And I said, all I could pray was, Lord, help me, help me. Every night as I fell asleep, Lord, help me. And he did. He met me in that hospital room. I felt his Holy Spirit in a way I never had in my whole life. He came through the slats of those blinds in my window. I still have a picture of those blinds. He met me through counselors who also believed in Christ, even though it wasn't a Christian facility. And they helped minister to me and renew my mind from the lies I had believed about myself. And he met me through just time, just time to heal, time to be free of my addiction, so that when I left, I have not struggled with an eating disorder since I'm 47 years old. That is my God. And though I've gone through difficult times, I have not been held by depression. That is my God, and that is your God who has done this for me. In Psalm 40, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me. He heard my cry. So wherever you find yourself tonight, cry out to him. He will turn to you. He lifted me up out of the miry clay and the slimy pit. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to my God. And I believe that is what our God does. He does the, his best work, as Coley said, when we're in our darkest place, God finds us there, lifts us out, and sets our feet on a rock and gives us a firm place to stand. So I would love to just pray for you before I am finished and just ask God to meet whatever it is that's coming to your mind right now as I'm sharing. Will you pray with me? God, I just thank you for each life in this room, each person that you knit together in their mother's womb, each person that you know intimately, and you are very concerned about every care, every pain, every wound in their heart. I pray for those they represent. Maybe it's a loved one who's in a dark place and has lost hope. And God, I just pray, would you break through tonight? Would you lift us out of the pit? Would you set our feet on the rock? Would you give us courage to cry out to you? Even if our only prayer is, help me, God, would you set us free and bring your healing and your unfailing love? In Jesus' name, come Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Allison Hughes, my friends, powerful woman of the Lord. Thank you, Allison, for sharing that with us. I love what Allison said, and I think it gives us a good picture to close on for each other, is this concept of the pit. We are not all in the same season of life. We're all in a journey, and some of us are in pits that feel 
maybe shallow. Maybe this is an easier season of your life and there's smaller things you're working through, but they don't seem big. But for some of you, you've come in here and there's a pit that feels like it's too big to ever get out of. Like you don't know how God could ever heal you or someone you love in this situation. And so what I want us to do as we close Hosea is I want us to offer God the pits. I want us to offer him the places that feel too dark, too dead, too forgotten, too painful for him to redeem. And I want us to invite the love of Christ into those places. And so we're gonna close in prayer tonight and what I want, or this morning, and what I want us to do is um, I want us to pray for the people on our right and left. We don't always do that and you're not gonna pray out loud, but as we're praying, as a community, I want you to be praying to Jesus that he would meet them in their pit because sometimes we don't have faith for ourselves, but sometimes we have faith for others and collectively the faith of this room I want us to believe for our sisters that there's nothing that God can't do there's nothing he can't heal there's nothing he can't redeem there's no place too dead or dry or forgotten that the love of God cannot come in and redeem and so will you do me a favor will you just kind of extend your hands if you don't feel comfortable touching your neighbor great if you know your neighbor and you want to put your hand on them Great, but we're going to pray for each other that God would meet us in the well and do a new work in us. So, Father, we thank you that you are a God who is all powerful, God. There is nothing that you cannot do. And so, right now, Lord, we commit the women on our right and the women on our left, Father. They are your beloved daughter, Father. You know their situation better than they do, Father. And you know the pains of their heart, the bumps of their story, the wounds that they've carried, and the places that your love has not yet penetrated. And so, Lord, we just pray in the power of the Holy Spirit right now that you would move into our neighbor, Father, that you would start to do work in her heart, God, that you would pursue her with your relentless, unfailing love, and that you would move and shift something in her for her to know how beloved she is. So Holy Spirit, right now, would you come and do a work that only you can do? Will you heal what is broken? Will you set the captives free? Will you pick us up out of the miry clay? Will you turn ashes into beauty, Father? Will you do something that only you can do? And Father, would you mark the woman on our left and the woman on our right with your label and identity of beloved? Would you write it in the core of who she is? Would you forgive any of her sins, Father? Would you wash away the pain and the past, Father? And would you start something new? Would you plant new life in her today, Father? That's what your love is and that's what your love does. You're constantly transforming us and making us more into your likeness. So Father, right now, would you pour out the gift of your love into our neighbor's heart and would she leave filled with the truth that she is your daughter who is beloved and she cannot be separated from the love of God in Jesus Christ. In your powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Ladies, I want to leave you with one final thought and challenge. Um, We are all on our journey of discovering our own belovedness in Christ. Some of you have been on this journey for 30 years. Some of you might have started last week. We're all at different places of the journey. But when we are honest, there are women in our lives, in our communities, in our families, in our schools, in our neighborhood that don't even know that they are beloved. 
They do not know it. They've been chasing everything in the world to find, find their identity as somebody's beloved or a way to be loved. And so what I want you to do, we are gonna continue this, the theme or the series of the beloved in first, second, and third John. What I want you to do in your eight weeks apart from women's Bible study is I want you to start thinking of these women and praying for them. That's all I want you to do. I want you to pray for them, that they would be open to receiving God's love, that they would know who they are, that they'd be open to an invitation to church. Maybe you need to invite them to Bible study or maybe you just need to tell them that God loves them. But there are too many women in our community that don't know that they're loved. And I think of the call of Abraham's life. You are blessed to be a blessing. We are loved to love others with the love of Christ and remind them the truth of who they are. So your homework is to think about and pray for women who are far from the love of Jesus. We're gonna pray that they would get swept up in his love and that they would know how precious and how cherished they are. So that's your encouragement until we meet again January 18th and 19th. But until then, go in the peace of the Lord and know that you are loved. In Jesus' name, amen.